you're talking to a to a talking Joe fan. Like this podcast got me through 287. I felt like I was in a studio with other artists. I'm going to be live in the Talking Joe studio. Live from the Talking Joe studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe. podcast. Talking Joe's there. Talking Joe thought we would last. Talking Joe is there. Find each other like a married couple. A podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe is the code name for a completely untrained special podcast force. Its purpose, to produce a regular comic review show while breaking and replacing a series of presenters from across the world. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. We are on our soapbox. Nobody seems to care. Fighting for fandom wherever there's trouble, but the podcast's on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 hey. Guys, it's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the G.I. Joe Comics Podcast, one of Macau's most popular G.I. Joe podcasts. Shout out to our listeners in Macau. So if you're new to the show, you can find out all the details over at the website, talkingjoe.co.uk has all of the details and the places and the social medias and whatnots. Um, you know, leave a message in the various places, uh, like and subscribe and all of that. Uh, that'd be lovely. Uh, so today we are talking about G.I. Joe issue 287, the latest issue that's hit the racks. But before we get into all of that, let me introduce the zig to my zag. It's my co-host, a real American Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark. And hello, listeners. Hi, Tim. Good to have you with us again. And hello as well to the other person that we have got on the line with us it's only the artist of the issue we're going to be talking about. It's our special guest. It's Billy Penn. Here's the intro. Billy Penn is based in Florida and he draws comics when he isn't busy being a husband, father and elementary school art teacher. His published works include a backup in Savage Dragon, the original graphic novel Hotshot and Mighty Girl and other self-published works that include Flash Trotter, codename Voodoo Chill, Bacon and Eggs, and the Curious Command of Colonel Krupp, as well as the issue that has just come out. Hello, Billy. Hello. Hello, Macau. <laughs> Great to have you with us. And um, in our exchange, you, you said, um, you know, I'm not going to expect a, a jingle, like you know, to the scale of Brandon Joa. And we often don't have uh, jingles for our guests on these uh these comic book review issues but give given uh given everything i know and uh, the fact that you brought up the subject subject it naturally played on my mind oh and uh i had to come up with at least a little something so here we go you i'll make you famous billy penn is on our show he's just a guy who draws G.I. Joe? 
Wow. Okay. Your own jingle. Thank you. With Billy the Kid at the at the top. Exactly. It's, I'm uh, glad you got that. Such a yeah. contrast. It's so sh- it stands out because it's so short. It keeps you wanting more. It does. <laughs> and there's a, there's, a, there's a story to that one as well, which is that I, I did put it to, together with just uh, vocals from me. I played it to uh, Mrs. Mark and she said... Mm, I'm not sure. I think I could do the jingle, the the vocals better than that. I said, "Okay, come sit sit in the chair. You record it." <laughs> so that's what we did. It is uh, it is me and the missus uh, on a Talking Joe jingle. Well, that's extra special. Thank you. I I, I was biting my lip. I was like, "Don't don't laugh. You got to hear the lyrics." I I just wanted to ask, are you you guys sure you got the right guy? I only drew one issue. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Is there another? Is there another Billy Pin? Uh, uh, yeah. So we, so, we are um, so we're so invested in GI Joe. We will talk to even one guy who drew twenty pages <laughs> of GI Joe for two, three, four hours. Yes, yes. We know we've got the right guy. That's me. Raise my hand. Click. And no. this and this is a first, and it's uh, it's somewhat serendipitous because last in our recording last week when we were dis- discussing Frontline. Tim happened to say that along the lines of, of I, you know, I can be a bit harsh on these on these issues sometimes when I'm talking about them, you know, it's because I, I love them. And, and I hope that maybe one day an artist might be listening to our, our podcast and take on board some of that, you know, energy and, and critique and, you know, maybe take some lessons away. And I was thinking, Tim, you are in cloud cuckoo land, my friend. Uh, you know, who's going to listen to our show while they're drawing and try and be inspired by it? And then... Only the very next week, into our lap, falls a comment from uh, from you, Billy. Um, when I first got the assignments, uh, I'm not on Twitter, but when I first got the assignment, I will kind of like stalk drill instructor Tom Waltz. And I think at some point on Twitter, he linked to an interview with Jay Brown, the, the colorist extraordinaire mm-hmm. on uh, Real American Hero. I clicked on that and I went on a walk around the block and <laughs> it it lasted me two laps and it was fascinating. I just thought, oh my gosh, I, I knew nothing of this guy. And uh, other than, you know, I, I've been buying every issue of G.I. Joe since IDW took over. I had no idea who he was. I didn't even know what the J stood for. And I thought... Well, well, it took me to the uh, the podcast page, and then I, I saw a whole bunch of other interviews. So I was listening to all the other interviews, and as I'm drawing the comic, I'm kind of chuckling to myself that, you know, this is fictitious. This is G.I. Joe. We're not soldiers, but we all have similar war <laughs> stories, and that all that that got me chuckling. I think. Um, the Robert Atkins episode really hit close to home. Like, yeah. like he's a teacher, his wife's a teacher. The timing was perfect, and then the timing wasn't perfect. And I'm like, mm-hmm. ooh, ooh, that's me. I hope that doesn't sound like a complaint to to any editors out there. It is what it is, isn't it? Um, right, you know, right. It, it takes time to produce these things, and if you haven't got the time, that that's going to be challenging. I want to point out the sort of um, double or triple loop here, right? So G.I. Joe shows up in 82 and a generation of or a generation or two of kids becomes fans late in the run, but particularly by the time Devils Do and IDW take over, fans work on the comic, right? So the, like the, loop, the circle is complete. 
And then there's this podcast where fans talk about the comic. And then a fan of the podcast listens to the podcast and is on the podcast having drawn an issue. So it's like a it's like a figure eight on top of a figure eight. Also, I shouldn't assume that just because Billy has listened to several episodes, he's a fan. He he may just be someone who listens to podcasts and uh, and decides that they're useful. But he may have may have no emotional attachment to this, to this <laughs> okay. podcast. And I and I wouldn't I wouldn't presume to put words in his mouth to, to that effect. Well, this is even more embarrassing, but I was thinking like, I've only drawn one issue, but will the Talking Joe guys reach out to me or or do I have to reach out to them? Because I'll be more embarrassed. So (laughs) I I, I don't know, Mark, if you if you noticed, but uh, I replied to your (laughs) to your message pretty quick. (laughs) Thank you. No, it's very, very good. And and that would have been even more delightful if the artist actually reached to us before we took the, the time. That would be that would blow my mind. I'm very glad that that I did uh, reach out. I breathed a sigh of relief. I was like, whew, I don't have to, I don't have to be that guy. And since (laughs) we're the best G.I. Joe comics podcast, um, Billy, you don't have to ask any of the other podcasts to interview you about (coughs) issue 287 because it's all going to get covered here. Are there others? Uh, Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Mm, No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so uh billy let's take take us back to your gi joe origins um where were you when were you how were you when you first uh you know came across uh uh, gi joe oh my gosh i can already hear my wife rolling her eyes in the future um (laughs) i i am uh an october 78 baby Oh, wow. And I think that's kind of important uh, mm-hmm. to the to the timeline. So by the time I'm three or four, GI Joe gets relaunched in '82. So I think if you had eyes that worked and you were a kid, GI <laughs> Joe was all around you. And I don't know who designed the um, GI Joe font, the the title logo. It's probably Ed Morrill. Thank you. That that will go down as one of the great logos like Cheerios or Crayola or Coca-Cola or I was going to say X-Men, but they changed that up, didn't they? Action Comics. Like if 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 that was on something, you knew the product you were getting. And if I had older cousins with G.I. Joe toys or if a teacher in kindergarten or first grade put like GI Joe stickers on our paper. If we did a good job, like they were endorsing it for me. So I don't really remember a time when I didn't think GI Joe was cool. Uh, the more I thought about this question, uh, I was getting a little angry. Like I never had a choice <laughs> in the matter, but it's such a awesome property that <laughs> I don't mind. Yeah, we talked about we talked about indoctrination in our pre sort of pre chat a little bit, um, and right. and I was talking to to Thomas, my son, about this earlier earlier on. It sort of came up in a in a, a topic. He was you know we were talking about uh, we were reading Warhorse at the moment, and and sort of he was talking sort of wondering you know why people might sort of sort of be on the I guess wrong side of history, you know, in terms of the, these wars and things and these beliefs. 
and why people might you know believe something that, that you know someone else thinks is is so wrong and let's talk about this concept of indoctrination is like mm. you know, can you try and explain indoctrination to me and i said to him well you know um how you love gi joe yes yes daddy and you know how none of your other friends have even heard of gi <laughs> joe <laughs> Uh-huh. Yes, Daddy. Well, <laughs> that's indoctrination. You just got indoctrinated, son. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think ch- children of the eighties. There was a sort of certain amount of blanket coverage that kind of uh, forced you to love GI Joe. It's a heavy word to drop for a beloved children's property, but yes. <laughs> but the other funny thing is, you know, talking about that logo treatment, like. Like, the 60s G.I. Joe means nothing to me with that painted head floating above, like, the J or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think even, like, the 07 movie tried to, like, redo the font with that that eagle logo. It looked like the post office. <laughs> it was like, it was like, give me give me the real logo or nothing. And, and you know, they've tweaked it over the years, but, uh, you know. It uh, means let, it has a weight. Let's get specific. Uh, what was your first issue? What was your first toy? What was your first episode? Did or did you do all three? Oh, that this is embarrassing. I wrote it down on paper. Um, <laughs> I I remember having the big wheel, and you know, my parents probably didn't know what they were doing. They just thought this kid needs a big wheel. Here's one in the store that's GI Joe. Big big wheel bike. The big wheel bike. Yes. Okay. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. It's not, you know, an action figure. But I think it was like, it's it's dark green with, you know, red, white, and blue pinstripe stickers. Uh, it's got like a like a molded gun on it. And you're just like, this is the coolest thing ever when you're three or four. Uh, the, the comics, I would say, like, if my mom took me to the library... You could check out comics, and I think I remember checking out 37 a lot. It's got um, one of the evil twin brothers on like a, uh, a roller coaster. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Flint's With jumping Flint. on it. Yeah. I mean, it's an awesome cover. Did you then start buying the comic every month at a newsstand or a comic book store? I don't believe so. Uh, a lot of these memories, the more I thought about it, um, come from Albertsons and grocery shopping. If my mom took me grocery shopping, uh, Albertsons had a pretty substantial toy aisle, honestly. So if you could make it to the toy aisle, you've done a good job. But if my mom stopped by magazines at the beginning and said, you know, grab a comic to read, I don't think we ended up buying it. But I, 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 I distinctly remember, I, I think it's 53 or 54. It's got Flint on a parachute shooting at a um yeah 54 firebat a firebat thank you yes that's a that's an awesome cover so i remember just that cover being burned into my head at an early memory so you you were not even a little later did you it sounds like you didn't go to a comic book store every week or every month you were not a a regular comics buyer reader probably not until like 88 1988. Did you then buy G.I. Joe every month? I did. I got got bit by the bug. I think the first comic I ever remember reading cover to cover. I think before that I was just looking at the pretty pictures. 
But the first one reading was like issue 80. It had Rolling Thunder on the cover. Yeah. I was like, my parents won't buy me Rolling Thunder, but they'll get me the comic with Rolling Thunder on it. Were you buying other comics too, or just G.I. Joe? In 88, it was other comics. Uh, I think I think uh, the DeFalco era at Marvel is picking up. So my friends and I are into, you know, Spider-Man, X-Men, uh, New Mutants around that era. The Batman movie is going to start taking off in 89. Mm-hmm. So I think 88, 89... Uh, fourth grade, fifth grade is when I became a comic nerd. Did you, as you got older, did you get out of comics? Did you make it to the final issue of G.I. Joe? <laughs> I did outgrow G.I. Joe, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, around the late 100s. I think whenever a new artist comes on, it's touted as like a great jumping on point, but I think it's also a great jumping off point. Yeah, mm-hmm. when Mark Bright left, that that was a... That was hard for me. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Me too. And I, I, it took me a long time to like understand that I liked John Statema's work after Bright. But at the time, the transition was, was hard for me. Right. And I think I took a few years. It felt like years when you're, uh, you know, 12. It was probably six months. But, but Wildman brought energy back to the title. Did you then read it until the final issue? Uh, no. Mm. Uh, I did get my hands on a final issue um, after the fact. But then I, I, I did get excited for nostalgia. I'm probably like 21 when uh, Devil's Due comes out. Right. Mm-hmm. Issue one. And and that got me re-interested in the title. And then I, I, I did kind of fall off from that. But, um, well, this is a funny thing. When did the uh, Toy Fair article about Larry Hama come out? Do you guys remember? Toy Fair, the magazine that Wizard published? Right, right. Um, I F-A-R-E. Might have, <laughs> I might have that behind me, but it would take me a minute to find. Oh, no. Uh, well, you know, let's, let's, let's guess. Let's say mm, 2000. Uh, I, I, that's during the, that's doing, sorry, that's during the Devil's Due run. So I gonna... was going to say 95, 96, 97. Toy Fair go back that far? Okay. Now I <laughs> now, now I gotta pull up my phone, but I'll keep talking. It wasn't till that article where I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy made G.I. Joe. Like my friends and I never talked about the creative teams behind G.I. Joe. Like that's one of the weird um titles that we didn't talk about. Like we talked about Jim Lee's X-Men, we talked about Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. But G.I. Joe was just a property from our kids, uh from our childhood. And, you know, it just was kind of made. All right. Toy Fair started in 97. I got that on Wikipedia. And, uh, <laughs> ended, ended in 11. Issue 105, 2006. Really? Okay. Well, it's not till 2006 where I'm like, oh, my gosh, there was one guy behind all of this. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, he wrote those awesome uh, Mark Silverstreet Wolverine issues also mm-hmm. that I love so much. This guy's pretty cool. <laughs> so if I fell off of Devil's Due, I did perk up when he did an uh, a run with uh, Dan Jurgens, and and Larry Hama kind of became the only GI Joe writer for me at that point. So in 2012, when IDW announces that they're going to bring back GI Joe, 
picking up from the Marvel run with Hama, you're on board as a reader. I'm on board as a reader and definitely as a uh, free comic book day proponent. Okay. Uh, and, and you have read the series since. Ever since, yes. Uh, again, you know, sort of the 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 the, the circling back of uh, of generations. Um, so, uh, just to quickly go back to eighty two or so, did you watch the animated show? Watch the cartoon. I did. My brother was born in eighty four, and I just remember like when my mom left to to, <laughs> to deliver my my baby brother, like just bounce after school bouncing around different friends houses so we made it to the hospital and it seemed like joe was on you know the closing credits it's just burned into my head of like uh the the joe's uh seeing uh the balloons falling from the from the ceiling and and bazooka tripping and shooting mm-hmm. his bazooka I, I i just yes i have fond memories of the cartoon the toy and the comic one thing that I don't think people have talked about on this podcast enough is Tales of G.I. Joe. Mm. In the late 80s, as I'm like getting hooked on comics in general, like Marvel is reprinting classic X-Men, which was just a godsend. You could you could read those concurrently with the Silver Street era coming out. And you know, Marvel Tales did Spider-Man, but I think in the late 80s, they were all over the map. They weren't reprinting stuff in Amazing Spider-Man order. Does that make sense? I think every, like, 10 years, they sort of jumped around with Marvel Tales. Because it starts pretty early. It starts in the 60s. Right, right. Uh, and that... and yeah, yes, by the 80s, it's it's jumping around. Yeah. It's like reprinting Team Up. It's reprinting Spectacular. Oh, did Punisher show up in this issue? Let's reprint that. Tales of G.I. Joe started in 88 or 87, 88. It ran for 15 issues. It was monthly and each issue reprinted one issue of G.I. Joe. So Tales of G.I. Joe 1 reprinted G.I. Joe 1. Uh, the difference was it was on Baxter paper. Uh, Buck 50. Which, which is what G.I. Joe issue 1, uh, I believe, is on and uh, is a deluxe paper that Marvel used in the 80s. And uh, you don't you don't see anymore. No one uses Baxter paper. Uh, it, Marvel was using the original uh, film, so the colors are the same. All the all the placement of color and the saturation of color is the same as the original issues. But because it's on better paper, brighter paper, not dull newsprint, uh, the issues uh, appear like brighter and and newer. And I don't want to say shinier because it's not um, a coated <laughs> paper stock. Uh, and then it's the original cover, and they've just changed the logo. So instead of GI Joe, it says Tales of GI Joe. And as as Billy uh, is is alluding to, sort of as a godsend, right? This is before there were any. This is this is back when Marvel had done like seven graphic novels and had no idea what it was doing <laughs> with graphic novels and didn't have any graphic novel program and didn't have a reprint department. And DC didn't have a graphic novel program. They were starting to do some like prestige graphic novels, and so. The only way to get certain issues was to pay full price at a convention or through mail order, or if you were lucky to find a second print. But a lot of G.I. Joe issues didn't have second prints. And I I am someone who I originally read G.I. Joe 2 as a second print, but originally read 3 and 4 and 5 as Tales of G.I. Joe. Right. I think it only went to 16 and I was devastated. But that got me into comic shops like, okay, I'm going to have to get the real 17. But I think Tales ends uh, with the killer cover of the airplane interior. It's a bomber 
Dr. Venom is like stomping on Snake Eyes' hands. He's a... Uh, I'm getting goosebumps just describing it. Uh, <laughs> he's he's hanging on to the, to the bomb doors that are open and Dr. Venom's stomping on his hands. And just as a cover, you're like... I got, I got to see what's happening. And then that issue ends and I'm like, okay, I got to ride my bike to the gas station next next month to find out. And it never came out. <laughs> oh, no. So then you're going to the comic shop on Saturdays with your friends. And, you know, the comic shop might only collect one of every issue in their, um, you know, in their back issues. So now you're like negotiating with your friends like, okay. You can get 24 and I'll get <laughs> 18. Uh, it, it was like that with X-Men comics because when you're in love with Wolverine, he's not on every cover. And every cover he appears on, you want that issue. But you brought your friend to the store with you. So you're like, okay, I'll, t- I'll settle for like 234 with him turning into the brood. And uh, you can get this one. So you're... So you're, you're, you're collecting crosses over with your friends, but you have a sibling, right? My brother and I, our purchasing power went further with G.I. Joe toys and comics because there were two of us. Were you also reading this stuff, playing with these toys with your brother? How far apart in age are you and your brother? Three years. Is he older or younger? Older. Older. Okay. So he indoctrinated you. I think we got, I think we got, yeah, but we also got indoctrinated. Also, I think this, I think this word's a little too strong. It is, it is. Since we we were like natural, a natural audience for a marketed property in the 80s, as opposed to Mark's poor children who have no choice. That, (laughs) that, that does sound better. Yes. And my, and my brother too. Yeah. My brother's like two years younger than me. My brother and I being six years apart and me being the older, uh, we didn't share purchasing power. But during the pandemic, uh, I started cataloging old VHSs and uh, I was looking at old birthdays like when he was three or four or five. He's getting G.I. Joes and he's tearing them up, you know, just staring at him blank eyed with his mouth open. And I'm like, (laughs) here, here, let me open this one for you. Like... Like I'm watching these VHSs being a little embarrassed and and looking at the toys in the garage thinking, "Oh my god, half of these are his." <laughs> uh, did did he read did he read the comic? No, not really. Okay, so when your issue came out uh 4 days ago, you were right. not you were not FedExing him a copy to say, "Look at what I did." No, he posed for it. Ah, this well, this is that's that's a bigger topic. He's shipwreck. Oh wow. <laughs> um, um, I I actually want to ask before we get to you drawing this issue of GI Joe, which I I hear has some um, great background stories at the two um, hour mark. Yes. <laughs> can you talk about uh, drawing comics in general before GI Joe? Separate from GI Joe, um, you have made some comics. You have been published. Um, yet you also have a day job. So do you consider that a couple of years ago you had, quote, broken into comics? Is that is that word not accurate since you already have a day job? What is your talk? Can you talk about juggling and also making comics, getting published? Oh, boy, that's tough. <laughs> OK, uh, if you want to go back very far in middle school. I, OK, I, as an impressionable 13-year-old, Image comic starts. 
And I, you know, I feel like me saying I was born in 78, I think me being a, a child of the 80s, like you, you can figure out I was six when this line came out. I was 10 when this line came out. I was, I mean, I was primed for the Image Comics revolution. And I wanted to be those guys. Uh, the the Killer Instinct tour came through town, through Tallahassee, <laughs> and and they that's, were. Uh, that's just so everyone knows. That's that's uh, that's Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri because Wildcats and um, Cyberforce crossed over after each series had its initial mini series. Please continue. Well, they they came to <laughs> my local store, the Cosmic Cat. I've been shopping there for thirty years. I still shop there. Is it 2021? Yes. <laughs> okay. It's been more than 30. Oh, my gosh. They stopped by, and they pulled up in the parking lot in, like, a tour bus, and, and I was I was done. And I, I, I think around middle school – this is before Image, by the way. Uh, there was Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular, uh, obje- <laughs> Adjectiveless Spider-Man, and Web of. And I think – being a, a superhero fan, I figured out, I, I, I decoded Spider-Man's suit. I was like, oh my God, guys, he's got gloves and boots and and all the webbing, uh, it goes to his nose in between his eyes. Uh, <laughs> there, there's actually a pattern to it. I think most kids, even watching kids draw Spider-Man today, it's just like a bunch of cross hatching for his torso and you color it red. So I felt like I decoded it, and I was telling my friends, like, hey, guys, enjoy high school. I'm going to be drawing Marvel Comics, and I'm going to take over Spectacular from Sal Buscema. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's not Todd McFarlane or Eric Larson or Alex... Savick? 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 Right. Too many syllables in the (laughs) V-U-I-K or whatever. Yes. Um, I didn't realize at the time that Sal was a Marvel legend and that he was drawing like 80 pages a month. But at the time I thought, yeah, I I can take over spectacular. So then I go to high school and an image is launched. I think Wildcats issue two has an ad like, are you 17? Are you willing to relocate to the San Diego? I think that's the, the little ad that discovered J. Scott Campbell. And I was maybe 16 at the time, but I thought, okay, guys, I didn't drop out of school to become a millionaire in middle school, but I'll do it in high school. You guys go enjoy college. (laughs) And that never happened. And then, you know, I'm in college thinking the same thing. Any day now, I'll be a comic pro. And then uh, I meet my girlfriend who's about to be my wife and uh, she we decide I'm, I'm good with kids. I'm good with art. I should be an art teacher. But I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to use this degree. I'm going to be a successful comic artist. And I think every year that I've been a teacher, this is year 20 for me, uh, I always think, oh, this is my last year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the big time. <laughs> uh, that is a lot of terrible rambling, and I am off track. What was the question? <laughs> So you became you became a teacher, but then yeah, you've you've have published comics. So so you something must have happened to to launch that. 
Thank you. Yes, yes. The first convention I ever went to was in 95, and uh, I was reading Wizard Magazine, and they were like, here's how to break in. And I think being a stubborn teenage kid, I only read the sentences that I wanted to. But they said, <laughs> they said, you know, look at a book and redraw, draw a page from a book. And uh, I look back at that young idiot, Billy Penn. He he redrew a page from like a Superman comic, a GI Joe comic, a Star Wars droids comic. And that's not what the article meant. The article wanted you to translate in your brain and your fingers text to picture. I translated picture to picture, <laughs> and I did a worse job. But, you know, none of my friends are drawing comics. None of my family is drawing pages. So I think I'm doing it right, and I think I'm awesome, and I'm putting in the time is what I'm, what I'm thinking. And that convention was pretty brutal. Uh, I laminated the pages because my mom's school had a laminator. That that was dumb. Uh, <laughs> uh, the artist I showed it to, they were like, hey, your faces are inconsistent. And I, what do you mean? And he's like, well, this looks like Superman on this panel, and this panel looks like a completely different guy. And I, yeah, I, 16, 17, I, I thought that was brutal. But Two years later, I went to the same convention with pages, and I was like, okay, I got facial consistency down. And then they were, uh, whoever I showed it to was talking about storytelling, setup and payoff and all of that. And then I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I've got faces. Then I do setup and payoff. It wasn't till, you know, maybe my sixth or seventh convention where I'm realizing these guys are nice. They didn't overwhelm young Billy Penn with 20 things you need to work on. They just did one at a time. And it took me a while to realize that comic book idol two happened on comic book resources. That was like an American idol style contest. And I was picked to compete in that. And I, I got kicked out on the third round. I think I drew green lanterns ring on the wrong finger. I'm not a huge green lantern fan anyway. But that got me to San Diego Comic-Con, where I met Eric Larson, and he let me draw backup pages in Savage Dragon. And I think the contest also got the attention of an editor at Platinum Studios, and he asked me, do you want to draw a graphic novel, Hot Shot and Mighty Girl? To which I said, yes. That was the year my son was born, so I was teaching... I was in my second or third year teaching. I had a newborn, and I'm drawing this comic, and they shot it from the pencils. It never had an inker. And by the time it got published in 08, I think I drew it in six months, and it probably took till 08 to get printed. That's when you were like, uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe the wheels are coming off at Platinum. I don't know if that's a fair assessment to say. But... Uh, that that was followed by another graphic novel that was twice as long and it will never see the light of day and that that <laughs> was that was a little disheartening and at that point i thought maybe i should draw my own stuff what was the old, what was the stuff of your own that you were then drawing well i i wanted to draw an indiana jones style adventure comic uh that that was my flash trotter stuff and again i i 
so much of my artwork I just put under my bed. Like I, I do it for the exercise of drawing it. I, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really care about putting it out there. It's so much more extra work that I, I these only have like a print run of like fifty, and most of them are in my closet or I sell them at like a convention here in town. Uh, I just like seeing it in print. Uh, so yes, there's Flash Trotter, there's Bacon and Eggs, there's Voodoo Child. I was shocked by, by your intro, Mark. You, you did your homework. I didn't think anyone knew about those. (laughs) So how did, how did you find Tom Waltz or how did Tom Waltz find you? Because certainly, uh, certainly these issues at GI Joe right now that are self-contained issues, that's a good place to, uh, try out different artists and new artists and and certainly idw as a smaller publisher might be looking for uh newer artists who are more available or um maybe don't command the page rate of a you know of a todd mcfarlane i I know todd mcfarlane doesn't doesn't pay himself a page rate when he works on spawn these days but so how did how did you how did tom waltz find you this is Okay, I will I will answer your question directly. <laughs> uh, I drove up to he was coming to a Dragon Con in Atlanta. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is the G.I. Joe editor. And he was there as a Ghostbusters writer. He was there as comic creator Tom Waltz. But I was like, hey, I know something. He's the editor of G.I. Joe. I draw parody portraits of co-workers, my wife's co-workers. Uh, these kind of things are on my blog. And I was like, let me draw a parody portrait of Tom Waltz and just hand it to him with my contact information on the back. And my family thought I was nuts. I was just doing a day trip up to Atlanta, uh, four-hour drive up, buy the ticket, <laughs> walk through Atlanta, find Tom Waltz, give him the picture, get in the car, drive back. Uh, that's what I did. Mission accomplished. And then I drove back home uh, knowing that, you know, I could sleep well at night knowing that I tried. There, There is no big what ifs lingering over my head. But I, I he, he really smiled and I, he really liked it. I think he posted it on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter, but my brother showed me. So he knew me that way. But then I thought, you know. At my age, you just want to try things and you know they might not pan out, but you know you're going to kick yourself if you don't try. So I thought, let me let me give him this. I got a business card from him and I thought, you know, if nothing comes of this, I can go to bed tomorrow knowing I tried. Uh, it's not my fault. I think about a year or two later, I got an email from him out of the blue saying like, hey... Will you draw some Napoleon Dynamite pages for for me? Uh, they're trying to get the, the Napoleon Dynamite license, and I I thought sure. And it's funny I drew them and I I put them on a photograph of torn notebook paper, with like a wooden desk underneath it. So the aesthetic I was going for was kind of like my art style, but presented in like a notebook. Like, I thought that would be cool for a Napoleon Dynamite comic. Uh, And then, you know, the comic's announced and my name's not on it. (laughs) So I thought, okay. I was like, like, 
<laughs> that didn't happen. And every year that passes, I'm like, oh no, is Jerry, is Larry going to leave? Is the book going to get canceled? Is Tom Waltz going to leave? Uh, there's always that, that black cloud hanging over my head. And then every other time I draw comics, which is very rare, it's, it's a, it's an itch. I don't scratch that often, but every time I do in the back of my head, I'm like, I got to get these to Tom Waltz. And this summer when school ended, probably one of my most brutal summers teaching, I mean, brutal school years teaching, uh, I thought, okay, I got to draw a flash trotter five, get those pages to Tom Waltz and maybe something will come of it. And then I got an email out of the blue, like from Tom Waltz. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And the subject was like G.I. Joe comic. And I thought, what? <laughs> uh, sure. And it, it was, it was, you know, would you be interested in drawing an upcoming issue? And I'm like running around the house. My family sees this big grin on my face. I'm looking at the phone and they're like, what's wrong with you? And, and, you know, they, they knew, <laughs> they knew three years ago, I drew up, drove up to Atlanta for that reason. Uh, they know that I go, there's a, there's a comic, there's Joe Lanta that is also in Atlanta. That's around spring break time. And Larry has shown up to those and I've driven up there just to say, Hey, here's some self-published comics I've done. Uh, I really love to work with you, Mr. Hama. <laughs> Sensei, and, Sensei Hama. And, and was this where the Larry Hammer portraits that, that we can find on your blog, is, is that where that came from, that, that you, you drew those to give to him? It is. He's, uh, he's a very quiet dude. Well, he, he came to a convention in Florida. He went to Pensacon, and Pensacola's like three hours to the left of Tallahassee on a map. I guess that's west. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the name for it yeah yeah you go left hang a left on i-10 he was there and i was shocked uh it was held in like a civic center and you know around the perimeter of the seating they just had like these tiny tables and chairs and he was just sitting there i was like this is where they would sell you know like like glow necklaces <laughs> and i'm thinking he should have had his own throne he should have been like <laughs> the number one guest. So I, I introduced myself and showed him some comics and we, we chit chatted for a while. And then he came to a Tallahassee convention, which I was floored by because we don't, we don't even really do conventions. Uh, and, and we talked, he and I talked for an hour there and he wow. seemed very receptive to me and my artwork. And then he started, uh, I noticed he started going, or he's been going to Joe Lanta's. And I thought, you know what? I make these goofy little parody portraits for coworkers and my wife's coworkers and our holiday Christmas cards. Maybe I can make one for him. What cover should I do that showcases like a face? And I realized like G.I. Joe 94, Snake Eyes mm -hmm. is unwrapping. And that's a cool story because if you look at the back of gi joe 93 it says coming next issue he's pointing a gun at your face uh i guess the gun never never saw oh, wow. print yeah there's an easter egg <laughs> uh so i drew that and i gave it to him and you know he smiled and he looked receptive and you know you just kind of get these fantasies <laughs> in your head 
<laughs> I, I thought, oh, he'll he'll ask to take a picture with it. And he didn't. So then I felt extra awkward. I was like, can I get a picture of you holding this picture that I just made of you? <laughs> uh, so I took that picture of him. Uh-huh. And I, I was like, okay, maybe maybe he doesn't like it. Uh, I, I tried. And then Netflix, the toys that made us, uh, they interview him. And he's writing in his studio. And on the door of his studio is that picture. Oh, wow. And I like, I, f- I, f- I fell off the back of the couch. Like I, was, <laughs> like I was going scuba diving. I just kind of was like, what? Like, not only did it make it home, it was a, it was in a place of prominence. So, so that made me smile the rest of the day. And then the next Joe Lanta, I put him on the cover of issue nine, and I kind of threatened him. I was like, I'm going to keep drawing these for you until we work together, uh, <laughs> which is really incentive for him, if he likes them, to never work with me. <laughs> Like the, the, the four and a half hour car ride home, I'm like, God, you're such an idiot. That that's such a stupid threat. <laughs> <laughs> so then then the following year I drew three Larry Hamas uh for issue fifty five and that weekend COVID hit. The world was never the same again. So I was thought, I'll just hold on to this. But I had made another one, a parody cover of him for believe it's 53 it's it's him as kind of snake eyes uh snake eyes is holding his uzi and it's like the 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 1986 anniversary cover yeah for marvel's 25th right right uh snake eyes is holding his weapon of choice so i gave mr hama a a graphite pencil because he always talks about how he's a writer with a pencil and he hasn't been to a joe lanta since but when this gig came up I I finally sent him a a high res JPEG of the issue fifty five cover, and I said I, I wanted to give you this at Joe Lanta twenty twenty twenty, and then uh when when I turned in my last pages, I thanked him for his fantastic script, and I said and here's the one I wanted to give you in twenty twenty one. Has he done anything with him? I I don't know. That's that's not up to me. And maybe that helped get me the job. I don't know. But I did one for Tom Waltz. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So so Tom Waltz had you do some pages for a Napoleon Dynamite tryout. Right. Uh, did you draw anything else for IDW between that and this G.I. Joe? No. Okay. So um, what's the what's the timeline of this G.I. Joe issue? When did you get that email? When did you get the script or, or the plot, I should say? Well, this is funny. I listened to Talking Joes. You guys interviewed Robert Atkins, and he teaches, and his wife is a teacher, and his story was very similar to mine. I got the email from Tom Waltz right at the beginning of summer vacation, right early June, and I am just giddy for days. And I shocked myself. The adult in me was like, well, you know, I'm taking my son to football camp all week. Uh, my wife and I are going out of country. We're going to Costa Rica on vacation. I really can't work on it till like July. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I just said that. Because 20 years ago, I'd have been like, honey, I'm quitting work. <laughs> I'm drawing G.I. Joe from now on. But uh, 
but some kind of responsibility switch went off in my brain. I thought, who am I to tell them <laughs> I can't do it? But 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 Tom Waltz was like, no, 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 that's fine. We're going to get the script from Larry uh, the end of June. And uh, I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got all of July open. This is amazing. Uh, I couldn't have planned it better. This is this can't be happening. This can't be real. He says the cover should be introducing the new Joes and uh, they're going to take a tour of the pit and like a wind up car, like like he just put me down on the ground and I'm like, boom, I'm there. He said he said kind of like that page from issue three. I'll send you a JPEG. And I'm like, nope, I got it right here in my lap. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, you know, it looks a little flat. I don't think I've ever in my life seen a G.I. Joe cover that's like a cross section of the base. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually they're dynamic. They're 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 Mike Zek. They're Mike Golden. But fans will know the cross sections of the pit, which has now been done two or three times. Well, that that was my big problem. My whole wind up car analogy. Like I hit the ground running, and I drew it, and I submitted it, and I went to Costa Rica, and the whole time I'm like, hold up, should that have been the Utah pit, like above ground? <laughs> And then I'm going through all my, my, my SL Gallant issues, and there's a bunch. But he did a fantastic cross-section in 200. And I'm like, oh my gosh, none of these vehicles are where they should be. <laughs> the control room is off. And then I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I can just tell the fans, I'm sorry I screwed up. It's the Fort Wadsworth pit. And then my brain is like, wait, didn't that get demoed and covered with cement in like issue 55? <laughs> And this is and this and is why G- if there's a defiant launching out of Fort Wadsworth, it's going to be a little <laughs> bit conspicuous, right? This is, and right. this is why GI Joe fans actually can't get hired to draw GI Joe comics professionally because they'll talk themselves out of it, right? I just got too excited. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll up, you know, the issue three page doesn't have any modern vehicles in it. I think it's got some tanks and some vamps. And I'm like, oh, man, it needs, like, Sergeant Slaughter's Warthog. It needs some Havocs. It needs, oh, it needs the Defiant. And, you know, I could argue that it doesn't launch from there. It's just getting repaired by Outback. (laughs) (laughs) His MO, yeah. Yeah, and then you just think, like, well, wouldn't that just be, like, on a launch site somewhere? Like, why would it even be underground? If you are... Billy, if you're looking for a fan to tell you that this cover is okay, that if, you, <laughs> if it's inconsistent or you got something wrong or you broke a rule, it's still okay. Billy, it's okay. Okay, thank you. <laughs> because, because covers can be an exaggeration. Uh, you know, like the cover to 84, uh, where um, the two ninjas are holding Zartan and he's, you know, there's the lava and he's like on trial in front of Cobra Commander. You know, that's a that's a... That's an evocative image that is not right. literally a depiction of the inside of that comic. I uh, agree. And, and you, you know, cross-section and then having the Joes repeated three times yeah. and having word balloons on the cover, right? This cover is already a, a very different kind of cover. Right. And I give all credit and blame to Tom Waltz. No, <laughs> all credit to Tom Waltz. He came up with the OK Newbies, Welcome to the Pit. And I thought... You know, if something bad happens, if I die in Costa Rica on a zip line, if I 
Like, like I'm going to fill this with all my favorite Joes. And I even, the first Joe action figure I ever had was Breaker. Uh, my buddy Chuck got it for me on a, my fifth birthday. I put Breaker in the communications room with the, uh, with the bubble that he always blows. And then only getting back from Costa Rica like, oh no, he's dead. He died, he died in a word <laughs> balloon off panel. So it's funny, he's not on the cover. Like someone did catch that and got rid of the uh, bubble he's blowing. Oh, so now it's sort of sparks. It's sparks, yeah. But again, you know, okay, so so I wouldn't want to see a dead Joe in a background inside uh, the issue, but I don't actually mind seeing a dead Joe on the cover because this image is not, uh, again, a literal scene that happens in the ongoing G.I. Joe storyline. Also, you know, this scene, if Breaker was there blowing the bubble, this scene could have been before he died. Oh, <laughs> agree with the newbies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's there's uh-huh. a cool f- photo of your drawing boards, and it looks like maybe you're on a sports field or something, Billy. That was my son's uh, football camp. I was I was alluding to at the top. Yes, I I kind of drew those while he was at football camp. You know, not to brag, not to get people next to me like, oh, what's that? Oh, nothing. Just G.I. Joe 287. I think the bragging here is that you drew a cover of G.I. Joe outside sitting on bleachers. Oh, yeah. Because most most people want to be comfortable and, you know, like listen to music or at their at their preferred desk. Well, let this be a reminder to all the kids out there that Facebook is carefully curated and that maybe I didn't draw 90 (laughs) percent of it on the bleachers. But I, I thought know, it'd make a good photo. I, but <laughs> no, you drew a news. you drew a little of it, right? So then some time goes by before you get the the plot. Oh, it's funny. Snake Eyes is even on the cover. I was like, I gotta put Snake Eyes. He, he's going down the stairs with Jinx. Yeah, that's the only time I've drawn Snake Eyes professionally. So yes, um, this is the funny story. We come back from Costa Rica on the twenty sixth. The email says I'm supposed to get my script on the twenty sixth and nothing and now it's july and every week july goes by and i'm not making a nuisance of myself i was like okay it'll it'll come when it comes but we're getting closer to pre-planning this was the shortest summer vacation uh for leon county we're supposed to go back early august and they're giving us two weeks of pre-planning and July is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And I went through my long boxes and took out every G.I. Joe that uh, Shannon drew. And I took my phone and I took every picture of the pit I could find. And on my computer desktop is like mess hall folder, <laughs> uh, communications folder. To his credit, uh, you you could build his pit in 3D, and it would all make sense. The sentence that launched a thousand dioramas. Sorry, please continue. <laughs> I may have I may have looked at those dioramas too. Like I need a screenshot. Yes, <laughs> this is even creepy. There's a neighbor down the street where I live. We're Facebook friends. Nine years ago, he posted a picture of his kids playing with GI Joes. And, and my brain just filed that away like a psychopath. So that nine, nine years later, out of the blue, I was like, hey, um, do you still have those G.I. Joe toys that you posted one time? 
back in February 2013. <laughs> and he let me borrow them. And it's funny. They're all 86s. I think he's a few years older than me. And he took care of them. I think, you know, when I'm five buying Torpedo and his flippers are going down the, the bathtub drain, I, I did not take care of these G.I. Joes. All right. So uh, when, when do you get the plot and how much time do you have? I am so sorry. That was your first question. <laughs> no, no, no. That's okay. I, I, you, 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 remember my my interview on this show got broken into two episodes. So right, I, right. I know about talking for a while. Well, that was it. Uh, I got the plot. Okay, we go back to school. I've collected as much vehicle reference as you can. I've collected as much pit reference as you can. Uh, July ends. August begins. I'm going back to school, and I'm going back. You know. Shoulders slumped, heads down. I get the plot the Friday of pre-planning. We have open house orientation on Thursday at my school so that teachers can label their desks and everything on Friday, kind of have a chill Friday. Uh, That Friday afternoon, I got the script and I thought, oh, cool. (laughs) I get to teach on Monday and G.I. Joe is going to occupy my brain. And uh, I get the script and I read it. Uh, I think, I'm just going off a of memory here, the sentence that Tom Waltz attached to the email was like, hey, you know, Larry kind of did his own thing like he's prone to do. And uh, no pit, no vehicles. <laughs> None of the stuff that I, I, I collected reference for is in that issue. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was funny. I There's think- one panel... What yes. are you talking about? There's one panel in this 20-page comic <laughs> that takes place in the pit. And you can see past a few shoulders. You can see a little bit of pit ceiling and some generic screens behind several Joes in this one panel. Not in the script. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm drawing Duke. I'm drawing Blowtorch. I'm drawing Rakondo and Beachhead. <laughs> That was not in the script. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to read this for our, our readers. I sent the burst to Duke. We can pack up and haul, drop rucks, ammo, weapons, and water only. Here's the panel. In the pit. Is that an encrypted burst coming in from Black Hat? Decoding it now, Duke. Hi, Mom. We got here safe. One, one panel. Yes. I was determined to put the pit in this issue. Okay, so... Uh, all right, so... And I, I dropped Rakondo in there, and then later in the issue, I knew Black Hat would say, psych out. She mentioned psych out, and I'm thinking, why didn't I draw psych out in the pit? Yeah, Larry always has Duke mainframe chuckles and psych out, sort of like running the show uh, back at the pit. Um, I'm just going to guess that Blowtorch is an important character to you because he's in this panel conspicuously. Yes, I almost wanted to draw smoke on the right hand of the panel. Like he had just put out a fire. <laughs> I think I think this I think that's a metaphor for you drawing this issue. <laughs> all right, so th- thank thank you for that setup. Uh, okay. All right, so uh, at what point? Yeah, what point are you rushing to draw? Well, that's the other thing. I'm going to my comic shop regularly, and I'm asking my guy. I'm like, when does this issue come out? Like I, I did not want to ask Tom Waltz. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying not to broach the subject of deadlines because you're worried that if you ask about a deadline, you'll you'll look like you're complaining. 
if you ask about it, then you will then have one. Right. Or that you'll, or that you'll, you'll, (laughs) right, right. That, that one, the one Marty said, I was like, okay, it doesn't exist. It's like Schrodinger's deadline. (laughs) I think, I think simultaneously have a deadline and don't have a deadline. I think that's a, I think that's a fictional country in Europe in, in Larry Hama's GI Joe. Um, Mark will get that. Uh, All right. So um, when do you actually get a deadline? Well, I, I didn't know this, but but Tom Waltz, I think the following Wednesday was like, hey, just doing my Wednesday checkup. And I'm like, oh, OK, these are Wednesday checkups. I didn't know that. <laughs> so he's like, you know, af- after I, I I did, I submitted thumbnails and I blew up the thumbnails as I went from like page one. You know, the faces are just like the oval with the cross mark for the eyes and symmetry. And are these the thumbnails that were on the script? So you're marking up the script. I'm marking up the script. I did kind of reformat it with, uh, you know, justification and all of that. So that one page of script was one page of comic. Uh, whereas his script is just kind of, you know, you blow through page one through page 20 and it might be 12 pieces of paper. I don't know. But I, I printed out 20 pieces of paper. The thumbnails got more and more and more detailed as I went. And then I thought, maybe these could pass as pencils. Uh, I reformatted them in uh, <laughs> I reformatted them in pages and kind of submitted those to editorial. And I, I did change some panels here and there. So I would send them like like a, a page 1A and a page 1B. And I'm like, which one do you think works better? And they would be like, page 1B looks better than page 1A. Maybe a panel was horizontal or vertical. And I think between submitting those on like a Friday and getting the checkup email on a Wednesday, he was like, just checking in. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've only done like a page and a half in five days. And that's when the shoe dropped. And he said, well, we we want these uh, penciled and inked as close to September 20th as you can. And I thought, oh my gosh, (laughs) here we are in September. That's like a, a, a page a day. And... I think I took off two days of work, but I, I really stayed focused and drew these. Didn't lose a lot of sleep, thank goodness, but it, 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 it was a bit of a marathon. Just just uh, just for our listeners who, who may not know a lot about the making of comics, a page a day is often the average for drawing a page of comics, but you can imagine that would be more difficult if six or 10 hours of that day involves going to your other job. Yeah. Right. And my other job gets the best of me. They get my energy. I can't, (laughs) I can't show up in a classroom tired or distracted, but I can come home and pencil tired and distracted. And you came up with a method to keep you on, on track. (laughs) I paint uh, a mural with my fifth graders every year. And I end up painting a lot of it by myself on the weekends and my, my wife will call and be like, bring home dinner or whatever. <laughs> and, and what I've learned is if I set my timer on my phone for like every eight or nine minutes, I can make these little micro goals. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I adopted that with these GI Joe pages. So I'm never once like just zoning out. I, I, it would, it would be like, Hey, can I draw all the black hat faces? Can I ink all the black hat faces in the next nine minutes? And then the alarm would go off. And sometimes I meet that goal. Sometimes I don't. Can I draw all the jungle foliage on this page for the next nine minutes? 
So it's really just kind of doing that until the book gets done. And there's there's a name for for that almost the the Pomodoro method, which is twenty five minutes of work followed by five minute breaks. Um, so there's some, you know, I guess theory behind it of uh, you know these these sort of micro goals and sort of you know pushing yourself to keep on accomplishing things and and not get distracted within that 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 sort of allotted time. Yeah, if I if I can hop in for a second in my own both reading as both reading comics, right? Like I think we've all read comics where a very popular artist who draws in a detailed style, you know, the first 10 pages uh are the best. And by the end of the book, you sort of see like details or backgrounds drop out or like conspicuous objects or characters are just mm. knocked out in black silhouette Agreed. and you think oh, did this artist run out of time? Yes, this artist did run out of time. <laughs> or in, in sort of more extreme cases, like someone else is drawing the final pages or, you know, this like hot, hot artist pencils and inks the first half of the book and then someone else inks the second half of it and then someone else inks the final page and it all like sort of falls apart. Um, I was going to say, I know some artists uh, sort of try and combat that that issue of of sort of good pages at the front versus rush pages at the end by sort of drawing out of uh, out of order. I think Simon Bisley sometimes would uh, do do that. Um, uh, P. Craig Russell and his big twelve issue um, opera cycle for Dark Horse ten fifteen years ago drew issue twelve last. Uh, excuse me, first and drew issue one last. Oh wow! So that I mean, I can't know. I don't see a difference because this stuff is so great. Uh, right. But you sort of you're reading him when he's at his most tired. And then when you get to the end of the series, you're seeing him at his most fresh. But I also see this kind of thing happen with students where, uh, you know, you'll say like, OK, you have an hour, draw five pages in your sketchbook and students will spend like 30 minutes on one page. And it's like, OK, do the math, right? Five pages, 60 minutes. You should spend 12 minutes per page. Right. Um, like you're already behind, so now your 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 pages two through five are compromised. Like let's next when we do this again next week, like set yourself a timer or somehow force yourself. And so, as a compromise, what Billy is describing here, I think if you describe this to someone, I'm going to jump ahead and and tip my hat, uh, tip my hand here and tell you that I liked the issue, even though we haven't talked about the comic yet. I think if you describe this. <laughs> I think you describe this to someone who hadn't read the issue. They might think, oh, man, this issue is going to look like rushed or really inconsistent. I actually find that the issue is remarkably consistent. Well, to go back to what Mark said, I did hop around as much as I could. Like I tried to get all the jungle foliage out of the way. I think there's a Facebook photo of all my pages spread out and, you know, kind of like the uh, 33 King Kong. You're just kind of like dropping foliage in the foreground to make it read as a jungle. <laughs> but it's funny because uh, there were panels that I do try and like repeat in the issue to save me a background. There's a, I'm, I'm, I'm tipping my hand now. Yeah. There's, there's you copied and pasted the kitchen. Yes. But I, 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 the filmmaker in me did try and manipulate things like the lights are off on the second kitchen. So there's more shadows. And I, I do think I, I switch things up a little bit, but that is the Jurassic Park kitchen for anyone <laughs> wondering. Um, was there any talk early on of someone else inking you? Because this book often has an inker. It never came up. 
Okay. You were just going to pencil and ink this. They wanted tight pencils at first. And then I think when they all realized how slow I was being, I think we all kind of just understood, like, I just need to ink these. Okay. I, I ne- never, never that they were being farmed out to an inker, but it was just like, guys, I can't pencil and ink. I just need to draw off of my layouts. <laughs> I just need to ink. Uh, Cobra Casino gets repeated and Dr. Mim- Mindbender's lab gets repeated. But what I was going to say, it was funny hopping around the script. I'm looking at it right now on my lap. I was dreading page eight. And and to the credit of me loving G.I. Joe and Larry Hama, like if you think you're an awesome comic artist, you need to draw an issue of G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. Because it, it will challenge you in ways you don't want to be challenged. Because you you might have to draw a construction site and also a casino interior and also an industrial kitchen interior and also several <laughs> characters in very particular costumes. Yes, that was the page I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is this is page eight day. Yeah, the, the joke is that it takes a writer, you know, like five minutes or less to write two page spread, big battle in Times Square. Right. You know, like Avengers versus whoever. And then Every it takes the artist. Avenger. Yeah. <laughs> and then it takes then it takes the artist like three days to draw that. That that's actually a really good point, Billy, that uh any, anyone who thinks that they're uh, a good comics artist or an artist of a certain uh level should draw an issue of G.I. Joe. And 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 that embedded in that is this thing that I always say, which is that there is no other there are all these things that happen in G.I. Joe comics that don't happen in other comics. Agreed. Like, it's not just like very particular machine guns. It's other. It's not just like very weird looking tanks and helicopters. It's other stuff too. Well, I was looking too. I was counting the environments. Like I, I, I buy my comics weekly still. And I was like, no other comic like G.I. Joe. Larry will take you 12 different places in an issue. <laughs> yeah. Not just the ESU campus and Peter Parker's apartment. Something on that that page. We're getting into the detail of this this now, but on that on that casino page that we were talking about, I noticed that that the, the the design of the casino, the coming soon Cobra's Casino, was different to the design of the casino being built next to it. Oh, I was hoping we'd save that for I Spy. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Okay, here's the funny thing. Um, that is, uh, oh gosh. <laughs> um, Dr. Mindbender says, you must admit my plan to demolish the old HQ building. I'm not going <laughs> to concurrently with erecting the new casino was absolutely genius. Laura three, four, three, Laura three, four, three. Um, that there's not a lot of reference. I think my comic books issue 74, the battle of Cobra Island, um, shows their Citadel, their old headquarters. You're looking at that with the Cobra Casino being erected behind it. Ah, but so that's all... the remnants of the Cobra but Citadel it... being de- demolished or oh, being deconstructed. Okay, so is this a coloring mistake? Is the is the I... thing with the two Cobra symbols that's in front of the construction site, should that not be pink? I didn't want to tell you that, Tim, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, well, 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 I'll put a positive spin on it. 
maybe if any of the fine folks at IDW are listening to this or read the email that I'm going to send in an hour. No. Um, <laughs> they, it's, a, it's a very polite, very short email. Uh, maybe they could uh, fix this for the eventual uh, softcover collection. I have learned that comic books are very similar to subplans. Uh, as an elementary school teacher, like you want to leave super tight subplans so you don't come back and your room's a disaster. And I did not give good subplans. Oh, you mean like notes to the colorist? I should have said, hey, that's the Citadel. Right. That's that's one building in front of the other. Well, I don't know how big a Citadel is compared to a casino, because now we're talking <laughs> like Star Wars proportions. I mean, we're like, <laughs> like that, that casino is like four times as big as the Citadel. My my mental no prize was that th- this also the way I explained it to myself was that the thing that we see there on the on the left is uh, the casino being built, and they it's being built you know after the fact that they've come up with some quick marketing materials on a billboard, and so the casino will look different in reality to to the initial marketing material billboard on the on the right. That was that was actually uh, vaguely, as I noticed the discrepancy, uh, my no prize as well. I, I actually love the coloring the more it grows on me. The fact that it does look like Dr. Mindbender says concurrently, like it looks like they're right. building it mm-hmm. out of the old Citadel. Yeah, yeah. But uh, to jump the gun on iSpy, if we're all looking at page eight, <laughs> um, the second panel. If you look to the left of the old Citadel getting torn apart, you will see two bats carrying rubble. This is the ultimate eye spy. You mean in panel two? In panel two, they are purple, the same color as the Citadel. Do you see like their T faces, their T-shaped faces? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the bottom left, in between two bits of yellow for uh, for like the crane. Right, right. And again, it takes me... Four times as long to color something as it does to draw it. So I thought for sure. Sorry, I've just seen it. (laughs) (laughs) I thought for sure poor Jay Brown would give me way more time to send in sub plans. And, uh, you know, I procrastinated and it was colored and I was like, holy crap, good for him. So, um, uh, all right. So we've we've gotten your uh, your your stopwatch method for cranking out these pages. Right. Yeah, what about the photo reference? Um, that kind of went out the window when I got my deadline. I- <laughs> all, of the photo, all of the photos that you took, it looked like some of them might have been taken in the school gym locker or something, the, the storage. <laughs> no, 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 that that was my garage. Okay. With my brother. He, he kind of doubled as Outback and Shipwreck, and they're only in the first five pages. Uh-huh. And then I thought, oh, I'll come back and take reference photos later. And then I got my deadline, and then I'm like, okay. References out, and it looked like you went to the extent of um one on on one of them that were you shooting a leaf blower at at your brother to 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 kind of show the the force of the wind. Yes, it's got to open his shirt in a natural. <laughs> I I don't know how fast the uh, the whale can travel, but <laughs> I was doing for uh, what verisimilitude. While you said that word, I should have been checking on the internet how fast the whale can travel. Um, however, however fast a kid can throw it. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, you, you finish your issue. Um, 
you, you send in your last page. Were there any uh, corrections? Did you have any uh, any after the fact interaction with Waltz or Hama or Jay Brown? No. Um, you know, you kind of picture this Marvel bullpen, but you're really it's just your house and everything that you see every day. <laughs> Jay Brown sent complimentary emails at the beginning, I think for the first five pages. And I, I'm very terrible about returning emails. So I, I thanked him. And I I almost wanted to say, like, you know, he's got a tough job of interpreting black and white art. Like, I know what I drew, but mm-hmm. to look at it, uh, it's it's a lot more difficult than those adult coloring books you can buy where <laughs> where everything's separated easily. Like, again, it takes me like four times as long to color something. So the fact that he turned these out, like my jaw dropped and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Did you have a victory lap this past uh, Wednesday when your issue of G.I. Joe showed up at a comic book store that you could go to? I was tickled. Um, I got a lot of Facebook reply, uh, responses. I, I did kind of pimp this thing like seven days in a row on Facebook, like kind of breaking down step by step. Uh, no one knew I was doing it at the time. So I kind of pulled an Ozymandias on everybody, but I didn't want anyone to think, you know, my priorities were compromised or anything. So my Facebook posts were kind of like, Hey, back in September, it's too late to stop me. (laughs) And now that you have, now that you have drawn an entire issue, penciled and inked an entire issue of GI Joe and drawn a cover, um, might you draw another? I would love to, but it's also kind of exhausting. I, <laughs> as an elementary school art teacher, I, I've realized it's all about scratching creative itches. And I buy Savage Dragon monthly for the last 25 years. Like, Eric Larson's an itchy dude. <laughs> he... <laughs> Because he he hops around and writes and draws other things. Right. (laughs) In addition to his own thing. Yes. But he, he, you know, he has that that itch that he scratches twice a month. Uh, Me drawing an issue of G.I. Joe, I have found like, okay, time to work on something else. I don't know if I could handle being the monthly artist, but it was definitely fun. Maybe uh, maybe next summer, maybe the scheduling gods could align so that next summer when you have some more free time in a year that might be celebrating a gigantic freaking anniversary for G.I. Joe, yes, uh, maybe yes. maybe um, some editor and writer types, uh, if they were interested in having you back, could wend a, a, a script your way uh, and it could get drawn and published. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be nice? In my mind, I think uh, July would be like someone would be penciling 298, 299. I'm an art teacher, not a math teacher, but I, it, it, I think that's how that would work scheduling wise. In my mind, in my mind, it's a, it's just an additional mini series on the side. That's like these, it's like these self-contained issues that are running right now, such that editorial could get a few uh, sort of ahead of time without um, mm. uh, so directly landing on top of the schedule of the monthly book though i understand that and ed- for an editor and a writer and a letterer uh doing double the issues is is a lot more work right right no i i would love to contribute anything more to joe it's fun 
And I was I was curious to to see what sort of reaction people would uh, would have as as well to your style because you know it, it is a slightly different from the the typical kind of uh, I guess what Tim, Tim what's the word you use it's like a adventure comic style Advent, is that Amer- American adventure style this yeah. is so, this is this is in the the larger Venn diagram this is American adventure style okay okay um, but. Uh, it's because it's not. You know, there's a slight more sort of it, towards towards the end of kind of slightly more cartooning in the yes in 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 there and, and stuff yes. like, but like that. If if we're talking about Venn diagrams, this is not a Bigfoot style, right? This is not like Jim Davis drawing Garfield. <laughs> um, this is not caricature, right? Like Jack Davis doing Mad Magazine or like movie posters. And and while there is a little, yes, there is more cartooning. Uh, in in the faces, like a little more exaggeration, eyes, noses, um, than you know a, a Ron Wagner or a Rod Wiggum. It's still uh, it's still American adventure style. This also isn't um, this isn't revealing, for example, like a ton of or any like heavy manga influence. Mm-hmm. You know, there aren't panels where like all the backgrounds are speed lines or um, like the way that a character. Uh, moves their arms like drawn several times with speed lines um but yes i do agree with you that this is uh this is a little off to the side of of that uh sort of most traditional gi joe art style tim's probably more knowledgeable and billy's had more time to to think about this but the the sort of the kind of creators that i was put in mind of a sort of slightly like brian shearer and um howard shakin and those aren't aren't particularly you know on on the nose, but I was trying I was trying to think of what other creators do I think have a similar style, and I couldn't think of much else better than than that. I'm afraid. Yeah, um, Billy, where where do you think of who? What artists, comics or not comics, uh, were you looking at when you were younger? What art were you thinking of when you drew this? I was gonna say. As a teenager, uh, well, as a as a preteen, all the image guys, which I don't think shows up in this comic. <laughs> as a as a mid teenager to to early twenties, definitely Brian Stelfreeze, um, uh-huh. but that that doesn't show up in this comic either. Um, I love <laughs> John Romita Jr., but I don't think that shows up in this comic either. Um, <laughs> I was looking at Wallywood Jungle Pictures. Because I know Larry was a protege or an assistant, uh-huh. and I, I've always wondered, like, oh man, if only Wally Wood got to draw a GI Joe written by Larry Hama. <laughs> um, where the the other thing that I'll say about the art here that is different than a lot of GI Joe, um, but it's more a lot of recent GI Joe, uh, is that Billy is inking with a lot of very thick lines. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've been talking about page eight, uh, the, the page with the casino and the exterior and interior and the kitchen. If you look on the page that faces it, page nine, oh, page if you look eight. at, if you look at um, the final two panels, uh, Laura, the crimson guard, um, look at the, f- at her elbow where her arm is bent and then look at the line um, next to Dr. Mindbender's separating Dr. Mindbender's forehead from the green tank behind him. These are very thick lines. And 
uh, if we think of artists who have drawn G.I. Joe recently, right, like Andrew Lee Griffith uh, or Brian Shearer or Shannon Gallant inked by Shearer or inking himself um, or artists who have drawn a lot of G.I. Joe recently have tended to draw with a thinner line, if not a very thin line. And so there is there's a certain heft on the page of this issue that comes from how Billy is inking and also... Mm-hmm there's a lot of spotted black ink, yeah. right? So that, that second use of the kitchen interior where Billy copies and pastes <laughs> it, but then shadows in a couple walls uh, to show that it's nighttime uh, or uh, just like, just everyone look at page one, right? Like when other artists have drawn that much um, ocean for uh, the whale, they have left that open. And Jay Brown then goes in and, and and puts color there. Um, same thing with the final panel of page one, right? Like most of this whale is blacked out, mm-hmm. and that that's partly that's because it's nighttime, but partly that's because that's how this guy draws. Um, and so th- these are the besides sort of like cartooniness versus realism versus uh, like whatever. Um, these are the, the use of black ink is the other thing that makes this issue look and feel. Uh, distinct from a lot of other and, issues and i'd add more satisfying to see see the drawn waves rather than just a a sort of a photoshopped um picture of of photo of of waves sort of overlaid on the the more open art um so, so yeah i i think i appreciate that and i'm sure that uh Tim, I was looking at it and thinking, yeah, Tim will like those waves. The drawing. Oh waves. yes, yes. Where's, <laughs> wait, wait, is this my first note? Uh, Talking Joe, two eighty-seven. Uh, Jay Brown's colors work with pens. Heavy spotting of blacks. That's the first thing that I wrote. Oh. Uh, colors are still a little hot for me. Uh, more saturated than than I would, I would prefer, uh, particularly for all these nighttime scenes. But that there's so much black ink balances the colors well. And I think um, Brown sort of eases off a little bit, like whether whether um, consciously or not. Well, I don't know if uh, Larry Hama planned this, but it, it was like watching it unfold and drawing it was like my own mission. If any of these Joes are seasick, they're probably like, I can't wait to get to the beach. Uh, that, <laughs> that was me. I was like, I can't wait to not draw waves anymore or ripples. <laughs> and then I get to the jungle and for two pages i'm like i cannot wait to quit drawing the jungle <laughs> and then and i then... get to the construction site and i'm like oh <laughs> we need to go inside guys and then, and then you have a parking lot filled with cars <laughs> yes yes right like everyone remember right like mike mignola doesn't draw hellboy in cities because mike mignola doesn't want to draw cities well oh, if horses. you look at that parking lot i shouldn't draw them either <laughs> I, I I lined up Hot Wheels on the dining room table. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, th- that is both that's both hilarious. That's also just like with a straight face. Not I'm just nodding. Yes, like yes. You you get an illustration job, whether it's a single image, a cover, uh, comics, interiors, and you take reference photos or you find reference photos and sort of anything that works. 
My my the thought the thought that I started on that didn't quite get to the end end of was um, that I was wondering what the reaction might be be to this and and generally the the reaction to the art style uh, well the art of this issue seems to be very positive uh, so uh, pat on the back for for you there the uh, I think there was a <laughs> there was a few people sort of going oh the newbies not interested in them uh, which isn't necessarily my own reaction but but uh, uh, possibly some some you know some of the vo- vocal people that we see on forums aren't necessarily always representative from the from the wider readership as as well um so uh normally we've, we've i think we've started digging into the to the issue uh, but so let's <laughs> rewind a little bit and and say we are ready to talk about the issue it is issue 287 it was warning team as the sands of time descend temporal disruption has set in and it is here that we must leave our brave adventurers mark tim and billy Remain patient as we will pick up where we leave them in part two of our chat as we dig into the detail of issue 287. Join us then, if you dare. 